I'm Archbishop Alan Vigneron of the Archdiocese of Detroit, and this is the Eyes on Jesus podcast. Hello, and welcome to Eyes on Jesus podcast with Archbishop Vigneron. I'm your host, Mike Chamberlain. And I am your host, Mary Wilkerson. We are excited to release new episodes once a month, so please make sure to subscribe and review wherever it is you listen to your podcast. Archbishop, welcome, and thanks for joining us. Great to be with you both. Thank you. How was your uh, Thanksgiving? How was I had that? a good time. Uh, I was at my nephew and uh, his wife's house, and uh, they actually uh, bought the house that had been my parents' home, and so it was a little bit of a homecoming. Wow, is, is, did they just recently buy it? A uh, f- couple of, uh, maybe three years That's ago, four really years ago. That's really cool. Awesome. So your house growing up? Yes. Is where you got to celebrate Thanksgiving. Oh, that's very cool. That is really neat. And your month went well as well? I had a very good month, good. yeah. Awesome. Lots of blessings. Uh, now we're into Advent. Yes. So the Parish Day of Renewal was last month. How did that go? I thought it went very well. I was really pleased at how many people came. Uh, the reports I heard were very good, and uh, I was uh, grateful for the opportunity to speak to the everybody who was assembled to talk about Christ as wisdom, yeah. uh, that, and uh, which is really to say to the the insight, the sense of how things fit together, so that we know how our lives can make sense. That's wonderful. Were there mostly parish staff members there? Were there average parishioners attending? I what think was it was a mix like? okay. of uh, uh, staff and uh, parishioners, especially people in the parishes who. Uh, who have felt the call to be on mission themselves. That's awesome. This year's theme was encounter. What does that mean to you, and how did that theme kind of get played out? Well, you know, this is the big triad that we use, oh. uh, encounter, grow, witness. And uh, I think that that's a really important theme. It's certainly underscored by Pope Francis. He uses it a great deal when he talks about the Christian life. And I I think to to speak of encounter is to speak of engaging with another person in a way that's serious, in a way that gets to the heart of of the person. Uh, Of course, some of the people in the audience will know that I'm a big fan of uh, St. John Henry Newman. Newman's way of talking about encounter was heart speaks to heart. That's what I think encounter is about. Yeah, that's lovely. That's great. So with these parish days of renewal, do we plan on having them every year in an archdiocese? I think so. I okay. think that's the idea going forward. Okay. But I'll have to ask Father Pullis what I think. <laughs> if that's what they'd like to do. I think it's a nice time to gather oh, it's very good. everybody together. Right. You know, a good time yeah. for encouragement. So that's yeah. awesome. Archbishop, I know last time we spoke, you were uh, in, in just you were about to go off to the November set of uh, our, our meetings for the USCCB or United States Conference of Catholic Bishops. Um, how did that go? And I hear that there was some big news at that. Well, uh, something uh, uh, surprised me. Uh, I certainly had agreed to let my name be one of the 10 to go forward uh, for the offices of president or vice president. And to my surprise, uh, the brothers elected me as the vice president. So awesome. uh, I didn't expect that. The best thing about it is, uh, is I take it as a, a recognition by uh, my brother bishops that they, they have a good opinion of me. Yeah. So you were elected by all of the bishops got right. to cast a vote. Mm-hmm. You knew there was a potential that you would... Yeah, okay. uh, theoretically, right. but I okay. didn't expect it. Awesome. Uh, and what is what is... What well, does that it's mean? to assist the president, really. I mean, technically, the most important thing is to be available 
to fulfill any duties that the president isn't able to do. But in practice, that means to be of assistance to him. Probably the most, uh, uh, one of the most significant responsibilities I have is to go with the president uh, every October as he goes to an audience with the Holy Father and uh, the cardinals who uh, are leaders of various offices in the Roman Curia uh, to give an account of uh, our uh, work as a conference and to get their guidance about matters that uh, are on the table. So have you been at different audiences with Pope Francis? Is that I've only been to one audience with Pope Francis, okay. and that was the general audience, uh, and so was introduced to him at the end. Sure. Oh. So this will be more specified time. Oh, yeah. This with... is a lot more business. It's yeah, just well. so wild that you'll be able to meet with him annually. And who is the president? Who was elected the president? Uh, Archbishop Jose Gomez, the Archbishop of Los Angeles. And did you know him? Oh, I've known the Archbishop since uh, he was the, an auxiliary bishop in... Uh, in Denver. Good. So will you two together have to do a lot of collaboration or how That's that up work? to him. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we'll see however much uh, assistance he thinks I can uh, provide for him. Okay. Well, we're excited when it, it came up on my social media feed, like a congratulations. And I was, I was pretty pumped for you. That's uh, an exciting thing for our archdiocese, yes, I think, to have you in that position, especially because we we trust in how the Spirit has been moving through you in this diocese, so it's exciting to have you in, in a level of leadership for the USCCB. That's great. Now, along with that, we had some other really exciting news that Monsignor Robert McClory has been named Bishop of Gary, Indiana, right? That's big news. Yeah, right? <laughs> that's exciting. When did you hear the news? When? How do you find out about that kind of stuff? Uh very often for these kinds of uh, appointments, the uh, the Apostolic Nuncio uh, gives a, a little bit of a heads up. Okay. And this is coming. How long have you known Monsignor McClory? Since he came to the seminary. I forget the the year. It's in the bio, but yeah. uh, uh, when he came here to study philosophy at Sacred Heart. That's fantastic. And then what uh, what do you think will help him in this role, like different characteristics that he has that he'll be able to use in this position of bishop? Well, I think he brings a, a wealth of experience uh, to the work. He certainly knows uh, uh, from serving alongside of Cardinal Maida and me, he has uh, really a clear sense about uh, how, it work, func- how you function as a bishop. I think it's his priestly heart is probably the most important thing he brings uh, mm-hmm. to all of this. Uh, he has a great gift for uh, leadership. Uh, those are all really important. But I would say his love of the Lord and his love of the priestly ministry is the most important thing. It's an interesting thing because it's such exciting news, but then it means I always get a little human because it means that we're going to lose him, right? Oh. <laughs> there's, there's that tension. You can tension. be a lot human I know. That. There's that tension when some of these uh, wonderful men that are serving our diocese move on, and it's just the spirit of the church, but what a uh, gift that we've had him for so long, and now he gets to go use that in Gary, Indiana, which I always think of that song. Mm-hmm. Gary, Indiana. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, here's a, a question for you because I'm sure – Monsignor McClory listens to this podcast. What advice do you have for him? It would be the advice that uh, you give anybody who's uh, a newly appointed pastor. Uh, Spend uh, the first months uh, getting to know the lay of the land and getting to know the people and uh, simply show them that you love them and you care for them. Oh, I love that. And when will he leave? 
Well, the, uh, the ordination takes place on the 11th of February. I don't know how soon before that he's planning to move into his new residence. He's a pastor now at mm-hmm. shrine. the Shrine. So then we'll, there'll be a new pastor at right. Shrine. We'll have to well. find so a new pastor yeah, for Shrine. All right. Awesome. Well, that's exciting. Well. It's been exciting times in the Archdiocese this last month. God's working. For sure. Well, Archbishop, we have um, this month, obviously, we're now in the grand season of Advent uh, in the church, and we wanted to speak to you just a little bit about that today. So uh, first and foremost, just leading up to Christmas, obviously, we celebrate this grand season. Um, What are we called to do during Advent, and what are some things that you specifically yourself like to do during this grand season of Advent? Well, I think uh, the uh, lectionary makes clear what we're expected to do because it can constantly... uh, puts before us our Lord's words that we need to be on watch, we need to be ready, uh, we need to be uh, looking for God's surprises, uh, because uh, his coming in the year zero, his uh, birth, reminds us of his coming at the end of time, which then makes us think about how he comes into our lives every day, and uh, we need to be watchful as one of my priest friends would put it, we need to watch for the gifts that God's giving us so that then we can give thanks and praise for those. What do I want to do? I think particularly I, I uh, try to meditate uh, on Our Lady's uh, experience of watching for the Messiah. Oh. And, you know, she was a daughter of Israel. She certainly knew the prophecies. She was devout. There was, in that time, a great sense of expectation. Something was about to happen. And I'm sure she prayed that way. And then, can you imagine the surprise when uh, this prayer led to an angel coming to her and saying, well, you're it. You're (laughs) going to be the way that uh, what everybody in Israel has been expecting is now going to be accomplished. Yeah. And how beautiful that that's, in a sense, meant to happen in each one of us, right? That's what Advent is all about, is calling it. There's a, a real genius, I think, in having this specifically as liturgical season for us to reflect on that that very fact. Right. What, it's what are, more important than uh, Black Friday or they, they, uh, you think, you all think, those other things. But it, it's funny yeah. that you bring that up because there's—I've <clears throat> noticed just being a mom with a family, there's almost a tension of kind of entering into— the secular preparation for Christmas, which is exciting, and, and we do some of that in our house, and but also making sure to keep that that sacred, right? Because I'm correct in saying the season of Advent is a time, too. It's it's a penitent season, a time where you're supposed to slow things down and, and fast and pray and prepare, right? Penitent in the sense, not in the same sense as Lent, of right. course, but it, I would say in, in the sense of recollection and uh, uh, drawing uh, into reflection and being ready for the graces that are going to be given for the feast day. Yeah, that's exciting. What what ways do you suggest that people in the archdiocese really try to prepare during this Advent season? What are some tools? Well, one of the most important things is to use the, the weekday lectionary, and, and there are all sorts of websites that mm-hmm. make that readily available. People don't have to have a copy of the lectionary at home. Uh, you can uh, and, and maybe do some... Uh, uh, do the Lexio Divina for at least one of the passages every day. I think that's perhaps the most important thing. Um, say a, a prayer every day. Have some kind of uh, family prayer uh, as part of, uh, say, the prayer before supper, some, something like that. Uh, I think it's 
good idea even maybe this early. I wouldn't be opposed to putting uh, the Christmas crib out uh, without the baby Jesus. And uh, just to invite everybody to pray uh, spontaneously, a mm. couple of, you know, one of the parents and one of the kids. Uh, what's in your heart? What, mm. what's, the easy, what's the Christmas gift you want or you want uh, from others? Um, oftentimes, as I've understood, uh, spontaneous shared prayer is one of the most important ways for a family to grow in it, its own commitment to Christ. Yeah, we do um, in our family, and it's a, a lot of young moms talk about it on social media and things like that. We do a Jesse tree. So every evening leading up to Christmas throughout December, we hang different ornaments that kind of remind us of salvation history, starting with creation. So there's a little world. And my children are young. So for that, we're not doing the full creation reading, but we talk a little bit about creation. And then we move through salvation history, kind of preparing us. And it's this really easy way to connect my kids to this mystery that's unfolding of this preparation, you know? This great drama. Yes. Uh, when you talk about things to do, what one of the things that comes to mind is what we did in the first grade with Sister Magdalena. Uh, she got one of the farmers in the town to bring a bag of straw, and every day in Advent, uh, if you did a good work, you were allowed to take a piece of straw out of the bag and put it in the uh, in the manger huh. uh, to create a place for the baby Jesus to lie. And I, I still think about that. It's in so Advent. funny That's when you cool talk image. about your your experience in Catholic education. It seems like you just had wonderful sisters leading you through your young faith development. Yeah, they were great. I mean, ever I feel like every time we talk, you have one story from your childhood where a sister has done something impactful like that. So growing up, you did that then. Did you do anything right within your family unit to kind of prepare an Advent? No, the... I, typical in the, the 50s, my parents left that up to sister. Yes, I love that. <laughs> well, I joked, we had an Advent wreath always growing up, but my parents never really lit the candles. It was just kind of on the centerpiece. Now that I have my own children, I understand why they didn't light the candles, because it can be a real dangerous adventure every night <laughs> when we light, like part of the prayer experiences is making sure my children don't light themselves or others on fire. So what did you do, what did you do Mike, growing up with Advent? Uh, growing up, we always had a prayer after uh, meals, so we pretty much ate together every night as a family. And then after the dinner, after dinner, we would have my mom would uh, read a reflection. We would light an Advent candle, and I was um, all my sisters are quite a bit older than me, so um, it was kind of like having being an only child a little bit. When I was youngest, you know, we did it as a full family. But I remember what, it's funny you mentioned about lighting the candle. But I remember as I got a little bit older, it became a thing about licking your fingers and then putting the oh, candle yes, out with yes. your with your fingers. That became the you weren't allowed to light it, but right. you're allowed to do that. That's funny. <laughs> it just sounds more dangerous. Yes. But, so Advent yeah. is preparing us ultimately for the incarnation, which, you know, when we spend time thinking about this profound moment when God chose to become man, we can miss that mystery. So when you think about the incarnation, are there any kind of words of wisdom that you can share with us to help that grand mystery become something that we can more Think about it at a real applicable level, like God's love. It, it's a very particular kind of love, isn't it? It's, uh, it is the, the consummation of his love so that he became one of us so that we could become what he is, what Jesus is by nature as the Father's Son. He became flesh and blood so that we could be uh, not just like 
sons and daughters of God, but we are sons and daughters of God. The way oh. I try to emphasize this to people is to say that if you act in grace, an act of faith, hope, or love, when the Father looks at you doing that, it doesn't look any different to him than it would if Jesus himself did it. Oh. So every sacrifice you make is not simply an imitation of Jesus, but it's as good as Jesus' actions. Huh. Now, it, it's got some dross in it, of course, yes. but uh, it, it, that's what we mean in the Catholic Church by merit. Huh. That In the, one of the prefaces, we say that God then sees and loves in us what he sees and loves in his son, Jesus. Yeah, it's always beautiful. That's a really beautiful line. I'm finding more and more as this Advent, as I was preparing to move through Advent with my family and Christmas, those single lines mm. that are in our liturgies and in our prayers that we say repetitively, you can pull out certain lines of them and really meditate for a lifetime. On, he sees and loves in us what he sees and loves in his son. So I wanted to know if you can briefly kind of walk us through with the incarnation in the early church, trying to come up with this, uh, to put wording behind this teaching. How did the church develop this? How did the church fight against different heresies? What was that process like in our early church? Well, I'm going to uh, depend again on St. John Henry Newman because I think he's uh, brilliant in his exposition about this uh, development of doctrine. And uh, from the beginning, the church believed what we now believe about the person of Jesus and his two natures. Uh, but uh, in the Christian community, it was a very simple uh, way to talk about it. Uh, the title, Son of Man, the title, Son of God, uh, to say that there is indeed one God uh, and his son, Jesus, who deserves uh, uh, the same title as the Father, called Lord, and was given by the, the first Christians the same veneration and, and endured. But they didn't have the words, the technical words. And Cardinal Newman points out that it, that's actually kind of the... the it, it's not, it, there's a certain blessed naivete about it. Huh. And what happens, though, is then people begin to argue about what exactly does it mean. And once questions arise, then you have to start using more precise language. And of course, a great watershed was the, uh, the Council of Nicaea, the first Council of Nicaea in 325, when uh, the big argument was, is it right for the church to use language that's not in the Bible to clarify what we mean by the, in the creed and in the Bible? And the fathers said, yes, we need the precision of the Greek word homoousios, consubstantial, of the same nature, so that when we use the biblical titles of Messiah, Lord, Son, uh, we, 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 we all know what we mean. Mm -hmm. And the great councils, especially the first uh, five or six, were very much about continuing to clarify uh, what we mean in giving, in, uh, uh, in the title Jesus himself gave himself uh, as the Son of the Father. Yeah. It's, it's so fascinating to think about the early church like, when they start to clarify these things and questions come up. I think about my own, even children, it's very, they just believe it. 
Jesus came to us and it's his birthday and how awesome. But as as I have gotten older, well, what exactly does that mean? And what is what is the how does this play out? And how is salvation history moved in this moment? You know, so it, it does become hmm. a deeper question to ask. And I'm so thankful for our church, right, that takes the time to develop this doctrine, to answer those questions, hmm. not changing anything but helping us understand it at a deeper level. And that kind of goes back to what you were saying about Newman, right? The development of doctrine that he talks about and how, you know, like uh, something like the Mississippi River began as a small stream, but then it ends up as the Great Mississippi, but it's the same river the entire way. Mm. And so even though it looks different, it's developed. And um, it's the same thing, though, you know, right? Is that is that right? Exactly. That, yeah. And uh, if it didn't develop, it, it, it wouldn't stay the same in, right. in some ways. Uh, the the reality is so rich that uh, it can there can continue to be insight about it as long as it's not uh, you can't say something contrary right uh, you can say something new uh, that's complementary and, and a further illumination but there can be no contradiction it's kind of like standing on the shoulders of the people prior to us obviously right we just kind of continue in our growth and understanding because of standing on the shoulders of giants, right? That right. kind of thing, yeah. Well, and it's such a profound moment. Like, it makes yeah. sense that we would un unpack the incarnation for all time. Like, it, you know, yeah. there's a beauty in just believing and understanding, but as you unpack it, it becomes deeper and more beautiful. That's what I love about our faith. Mm. Like, the deeper you get into it and the more you connect things, it's just stunning how God had this all planned for us out of this, like, tremendous love, tremendous love. He became like us so we could be like him. And we can lose that, I think, mm -hmm. in the Christmas season, in the movements of everything, in the busyness. We can sometimes miss this profound mystery. Yeah. Awesome. Well, and I think also, like, that's the beauty of the, the cyclical nature of the liturgical season, that, you, like, the church had a wisdom in knowing, well, you need to think about this every year because yeah. there's there's a depth to it. And as you grow and develop, you need to, your faith needs to grow and develop on these specific themes, you know? So with, with Christmas obviously coming, which is the, the celebration of the incarnation itself, is there anything specific that uh, that you yourself like, like to do at Christmas, uh, Archbishop, or things that you've done in your past as a child uh, that helped remind you of this incarnational gift that we have? I actually like giving gifts. Do you? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, uh, I enjoy that. Uh, it's, a, it's not the most important thing I do uh, in my religious uh, uh, de devotions, yes. but uh, my, Christmas is a time to uh, uh, reappropriate uh, and, and appreciate again uh, the the gift giving of God the Father, and so I think that that's one of the reasons it's great to give gifts at that's Christmas. Awesome. What gift have you given that you think was received best by the oh, recipient? That's a good question. You know, because I was going to ask what's the best gift you've given, but that's that's tough. That's you know, but what's the gift that you gave that maybe you had an unexpected reaction of 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 depth that from the person that received it. Right off the top of my head, I'm not able to. No. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, you, that you, wasn't prepared. You, you, no, you, you put me on the spot. Do I you think. do your own shopping for gifts? Like you go out to the store and curate different things for people that you love? I do. That's awesome. Uh, I have a short list, but yeah, That's I do. That's great. And then for at the Christmas Mass, do you do the Midnight Mass? What, what do I you do? I do Midnight Mass at the cathedral. You do. And then uh, 
uh, I think it's appropriate for uh, the rector, Father Meck, to be able to lead the congregation at Christmas, so he does the 11 o'clock in the morning. The uh, midnight mass is so beautiful. My husband, he's a convert, and part of his conversion came about, he went to shrine one night for the midnight mass. He wasn't Catholic yet, so he loves midnight mass. I have five small children, so midnight mass is a challenge for me, but he likes us to go because it, it, it's a moment of faith for him, you know. So is the, is the cathedral crowded? We've um, never attempted the cathedral. It's, uh, it's not jam-packed, okay. but th- there's a good-sized congregation. Mm-hmm. Maybe this year we'll try to go to the cathedral for midnight mass. That would be fun and really cool for my kids, really memorable. Your kids might be getting to the age where they can handle it. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah, hopefully. If you hear screaming, I apologize in advance. That's all right. <laughs> I, that's like, those are angel voices. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I'll tell myself that. Um, so Christmas Day, what do you do then if you've celebrated Midnight Mass? I say Mass in my chapel. Okay. And then uh, take my time, and uh, then I go to my brother's house for okay. Christmas dinner. Fantastic. Good. And growing up, childhood, any special memories that you have of Christmas Day? Did your family do anything unique during the actual day, the actual celebration of the Incarnation at Christmas? Nothing unique. Okay. I mean, obviously, we went to church uh, my parents were of the school that they went in uh, 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 relay. Uh, mm, yeah. So one would do the babysitting, the other would go to church, and then they'd come back. And uh, I mean, that's how they were until we were old enough to go to church. Somebody told me that about you, because I think you had mentioned that on a, on a different podcast. And there's a little bit of a... Uh, debate about whether or not you should do that but I think there's some wisdom in it parents being able to worship without maybe the distraction of their young cherubs I think it's whatever works for people they should make decide for themselves yeah that's cool that your parents did that and then when you were all able to sit nicely through then then you went together yeah that's great very cool but uh you know asking about one of the things uh, this is a very not religious uh, thought, but uh, what I do remember... <laughs> we like those two. Yeah. <laughs> the best gift I ever got at Christmas was when I was about four, I guess. Uh, my parents gave me uh, a toy farm set, and that was the best uh, toy I ever got. You can still kind of remember getting oh, that. I can do very, Isn't it very funny much. how we do... You have yeah. these memories of these moments. My, my mom surprised me once with Les Mis tickets at Christmas when I was like 14 or 15, and they let us go by ourselves, so they drove us to the Fisher and dropped me and my sister off, so we got to walk in, you know, like... Wow. Like, you know, because when how you're at the... You? 14, 15, wow, yeah. so it, before we had our license, but it felt so grown up, and I'll just... I'll, it's a sweet memory of mine when you get that. What would you say yeah. is your... Like uh, a gift the one that sticks out probably the most was that I um, <laughs> I had asked for um, this game system, uh, like a video game system that was like a handheld one, and I instead got a drum set. And um, <laughs> I remember being really upset at the time because I didn't want a drum set. I wanted something else instead. But what's funny is that eventually I played drums all throughout high school. I played at church. I played um, in college. And, you know, it, it, beca- it, led, it opened a lot of doors of friendship and uh, took me to different places. I got to go to um, Hawaii and different places to play drums and got to play in the studios a little bit and stuff. So I remember being like, that's, it was just kind of a funny gift that I didn't even want in the first place, but my parents knew somehow that that would have been a, a good one that stuck out. So. Well, and I like that you brought up with the gift giving, because if we can connect it to the spiritual, it's such an important piece. Like I tell my kids, you know, Jesus is so good that on his birthday, he wants you to have presents, you know, so to kind of... Well, that takes your... You're, you're taking us back to the very notion of the incarnation, mm. uh. that 
the whole of creation is raised up back into the embrace of uh, the Father. And that, that's the great tragedy of the fall. Uh, yes, one sin, another sin, but the whole world is, is marred by, by Adam and Eve's sin. And so the incarnation is about bringing the whole world back. It's St. Paul says in one of the epistles, you know, he's the firstborn of all creation. Mm. And so uh, there isn't anything that can't be incorporated in, and brought, brought into this, what we might call this ecology of grace. Mm. I love that, especially with some of the debates between like secular Christmas, spiritual, like entering into Advent. You can blend them, like, I, and I think God wants us to, because we're an incarnational people, right? Right. That's awesome. Any other thoughts on Advent or Christmas? Nope. Awesome. Thank you for sharing with us. Archbishop Vigneron, we are at the point in the podcast where we ask you questions that have been submitted to Eyes on Jesus Podcast at AOD.org. We ask people to email in any questions they might have for their shepherd and to include their name, their parish, and their question. So the first question that we have is from Anne at St. Mary's in Royal Oak. What is your favorite hymn? Hail Queen of Heaven, the Ocean Star, which is the first hymn uh, to Our Lady that I learned, I remember. Uh, Sister Padua teaching it to us, and uh, I love—I really love it very, very much. And a lot of times I'll uh, sing it to myself when I <laughs> shave in the morning. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> very good. There you go back with the religious sisters again, exactly. having that huge Those, impact yes. on you. So, um, Maria from Saint Saint Vincent Fur asks, uh, "What did your call to the priesthood look like?" It was a pretty simple thing, really. It, uh, I began to feel attracted to the priesthood even when I was in grade school, and part of it was uh, growing out of my attraction to the Eucharist, especially, uh, well, the Mass, but also benediction of the Most Blessed Sacrament. I was an altar server, and I thought, I mean, with a little kid's mind, I thought, well, if you like being a server, what could be even better <laughs> than to be a priest? You get to do it all the time. Yes. So, yeah. Uh, it just it grew pretty naturally that way. Yeah, uh, yeah. It was nothing. I don't have. There's no drama about it really. Yeah. yeah. No Paul being knocked off the horse. Just a no. natural progression in your life. Right. Did you have a moment you felt like you um, went from kind of a curiosity to uh, to a yeah? This is definitely what I feel the Lord is calling me to. Something like that. Uh, the most important watershed was uh, a time when I was about twenty, nineteen sixty eight. And I came very close to leaving the seminary because I found things very confusing. Mm. I wasn't sure uh, about the future of the priesthood, the future of the church. There were people writing in church periodicals that the priesthood was going to disappear. We weren't going to need it anymore. Uh, A lot of ideas circulating like that. And I thought, well, what am I here for? Mm. And uh, I realized during prayer that I was being cowardly. And I decided to stay. And as I look back on it, that decision to stay was probably the most important uh, uh, step on my way toward the priesthood. Yeah, that's great. And I love how it's tied to that kind of that heroic virtue, like kind of, well, you knew the cowardice was there and you stepped out in faith. That's beautiful. That's not the kind of disciple I wanted to be. Mm. Right. Yeah. Brianna from St. Mary in Royal Oak asks, what is one of your favorite hobbies or activities to do in your free time? Maybe something that's not related to the faith, but just that you like to do when you do get those moments of free time. 
Um, I wish I had really some interesting hobby. Uh, I don't have much that I, I that really qualifies. Uh, I, I like to read, and I, I like to uh, sort of follow a trail of uh, things that interest me. So, and it's actually much easier now to do with the internet. So, uh, a question comes up that raises another question, and then I can keep looking farther and farther into the topic. Uh, Kara from Our Lady of the Lakes in Waterford had a question about the availability availability of uh, the Sacrament of Confession and Reconciliation. I know that it kind of seems um, different parishes obviously offer different times. Would you be able to speak to that a little bit and just how uh, your guidance that you've given to the priests of the Archdiocese regarding uh, the Sacrament of Reconciliation? I'd start with uh, the fact that uh, Hearing confessions, offering uh, penance and uh, reconciliation is uh, one of the most important things a priest can do for his people, and I know the priests are resolved to do the best they can to make that grace available. I think uh, so much depends on uh, the rhythm of a parish's life. Uh, I was talking to one of my brothers yesterday about this. Uh, I mean, I think sometimes we need to be aware of... uh, what a uh, decrease in number there is uh, for our priests. Oh. And so uh, it just, the level of service can't be uh, what it was uh, 30 years ago. They're just, yeah. there's not enough priest hours as there once were. So I think priests are trying to do their best. I would say if, if a person uh, feels that there should be more opportunity, uh, ask the priest, but also be attentive to. Uh, what, uh, uh, how, how things are limited today. I mean, even if uh, we have these limitations, it isn't as if it were the same thing in pioneer times when the priest yeah. was able to come <laughs> to a church uh, once every two weeks or, or some such thing. I think there are places where confession is more uh, regularly available, uh, a place that I know a lot of uh, our people go to is uh, the Capuchin Friary at St. Yeah. Bonaventure. I think they make confession quite readily available. And uh, going to another parish, I think uh, parishes put a lot of this material online. That's mm-hmm. a good way to find a place that one can go for confession. So a lot of churches, most churches I would say, offer reconciliation at like between two and four on Saturdays. And is that is there any tradition behind that? Is it preparing for Mass that it's always done on Saturdays? Is there... How did that I, I think it probably began as a way to help people who uh, needed to go to confession on, uh, before Holy Communion on right. Sunday yeah. uh, to be able to have uh, the sacrament of penance. And I think it, it, it fits lots of schedules. Now, it doesn't fit every schedule, and I think that's the reason some parishes have a, a weeknight as well. Yeah. Mm. It'll be interesting, too, to see with some of the movements of you know, social media and the internet, if we can do more collaboration, like I'm seeing different collaborations, even with during Advent, there'll be a reconciliation service. And that used to be at every parish. And now they're at vicariate levels and all these priests come and you can kind of come in and out. So yeah, that's great. Wonderful. Thank you, Archbishop. Well, Archbishop Vigneron, as we we end today, I was wondering if you would be so kind as to extend your blessing to us. Lord God, we give you praise and thanks for the fidelity to your promise as you sent your Son in the flesh to fill our flesh with your life. We ask that in all things we will glorify your name as your adopted sons and daughters. And may Almighty God bless all who hear this podcast, Almighty God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 
Amen. Thank you so much, Archbishop. Stay tuned for the next episode of Eyes on Jesus, a new episode every month. And if you enjoyed listening, you might also like the Open Door Policy Podcast with Father Steve Pullis and Danielle Center, a podcast for joyful missionary disciples and our movement to unleash the gospel. Find it on your favorite podcast app.